Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. We're bidding farewell to 2021. And let's face it, no one is really going to miss that particular year. But we're looking ahead to an altogether bigger, brighter and much more optimistic 2022. To kick off, we're mixing a sherry-based cocktail. Yes, sherry in a cocktail. Trust us, it is delicious. Then we'll be sampling two brand new spirits. Very different, but equally intriguing. Tenth Muse Vodka and Opurist, a spirit from Greece. As for our reading matter, we're delving into the big world of Amaro with the appropriately named Big Book of Amaro. We drop into the main Mayfair, a very new and utterly divine venue hidden in the heart of London. And we're asking globetrotting Lauren Moat to give us her cocktail, spirits and general drinking predictions for the year ahead. But first, we are the cocktail lovers. So let's make ourselves that cocktail. Okay, so you know that I said we're going to be making a lovely winter punch using Beef Eater Winter Limited Edition. Yes, I remember that well. Well, we're not going to be making it because that is such a limited edition and in such high demand that I couldn't find any. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Never fear, we're going in with a bamboo cocktail instead. Now, this is one that you referenced a few episodes ago. And actually, it's one of the ones I really like because it's nice and light. It's a great aperitif. So it's a good one for this time of year. And actually, it's really lucky because we have all of the ingredients to hand. (laughs) So all you need is four ingredients, actually, some fino sherry, some dry vermouth, dash of Angostura aromatic bitters and a dash of orange bitters so you know something very super easy super elegant and easy to make yeah and the thing is this time of year even if you don't think you drink sherry you've probably got it in just in case yeah you want to offer it or you fancy it whatever or someone's gifted it to you or something like that so okay so it's a quite an easy one to make we like easy indeed who doesn't actually so this calls for 37 and a half of Fino sherry, but we can make it a little bit easier. Go for about 40 mils. Why not? Yeah, it's Christmas. I, I would not like to try and measure 37.5. So exactly. I would go for 40. So we're making two. So that's oh, 80 good. mils we're going yeah. for. Okay, that's our Fino sherry in. Then we have some dry vermouth. Dry vermouth. Again, 40 mils. Or 37 and a half if you're a stickler. <laughs> but so e- equal measures. Which equal is nice measures. And easy to remember. Always yeah. love an equal measures yeah. drink. Great. Is good. Voila. And then we have one dash each. So in this instance, two dashes each of Angostura Aromatic. That's the one that gives it all of those lovely winter Christmassy spices. So two nice. dashes of that. And two dashes of orange. So we've got some nice citrusy notes in here. Two dashes of orange bitters. Mm. The glasses are a chillin'. They are. They're our lovely favourite Nick and Nora glasses. Nick and Nora glasses. And going to put some ice into our mixing glass. Yeah. Plenty. Lovely. Lots of ice ice just to... Yeah, really fill up right the up mixing the glass, actually, glass. because, you know, the, that ice is not going to go to waste. And it helps to really dilute 
and chill your cocktail. Nice stirring action. There. Thank you. I've picked this up from a few of our bartending yeah, friends. That's a good action, my friend. It's lovely. Also, the colour is lovely. It's very um, clean, crisp, and just slightly tinged, isn't it? Yeah, just is... a glow about it. And also, like we mentioned, as you said, we, we talked about this cocktail in a previous episode. That being sherry, that like, makes it that little bit lighter. As yeah, a cocktail, it's a low ABV it? yeah. cocktail and a really nice one to start your evening. You know, just have a lovely light, refreshing, elegant aperitif. I think we can stop. I, I, I would actually carry on stirring this for ages. I love doing that stirring. <laughs> <laughs> right. But so. it was on a serious note. It's like sometimes it's tempting to not stir enough mm. stirred cocktails and they, they generally benefit from that. A little, little bit, bit extra, extra chilling and diluting. Indeed, indeed. So now I'm going to strain into the chilled glasses. As you so said, it's got a nice be. subtle glow about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a lovely this one. It's going to set me up nicely for the rest of the podcast, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, that's the idea, actually. Yeah. We like to cheers each other yeah. with a lovely cocktail and now all you need is some lemon to garnish mm-hmm. a twist of lemon but we're actually going to use these lovely um, cocktail elements which yeah. um we've mentioned before in 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 previous mm. episodes yeah and it's just this lovely spray that you spritz over the top of your cocktail a it's sustainable but b you've always got it to hand yeah, standing so. by it's a good thing to have in your repertoire and there you go i mean the twist would be nice because it, it adds a little extra to your glass needs must looks beautiful mm. there you go cheers. cheers cheers good clink wonderful oh, that yeah, is nice it's got a nice sort of dry edge to it yeah it's lovely like it's a great perfect. aperitif as you say and what will you be making in our next episode so we'll have moved into january and i will be making a lovely bobby burns cocktail so for that, you will need a good blended Scotch whiskey, some sweet vermouth, Benedictine liqueur, lemon to garnish, and why not also have a little bit of shortbread standing by? Mm, wonderful. Okay, I'm going new with delving into the drinks cabinet this week. Because I've got a vodka and it's brand new. Brilliant. And it's really good that you've gone for vodka because we're hearing great things about vodka. And I think it's 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 time, isn't it? It's been sort of hiding under a little bit of um, the, the limelight of gin for a very long time. And I think that now is the time for it to come out and be a star again. Again. Really. And as you say, we're hearing little whispers mm. around vodka. And this deserves more than a whisper, I suspect. I think it deserves a, a loud conversation, which is what I think we're about to give it. Okay, let's go. Okay, so this is a vodka called... Tenth Muse. Mm. On the bottle, it looks like it says X Muse, but that is a numeral. Right, Roman yeah. numeral, a numeral, obviously. So number 10, so it's Tenth Muse. And I could actually say I knew all the stuff I'm about to say and sound like a real intellectual, but I can't <laughs> lie to you, Sandra. Um, I've just been reading up and studying. Oh, good. Is uh, it interesting? It is. I've found out a lot of interesting things. First up, there are nine muses in Greek mythology. Right. And they all have names, but there is a tenth one, and she is unnamed and unknowable. Right. But what she is about is creating perfect harmony and balance. Ah, so now I see why it's been chosen for a spirit, because those are the things that you want, absolutely, when yeah, you're making it's, something. It starts to give you some little clues where it, where it could be going. As I say, it's a new vodka, and they say it's the first blended barley vodka inspired by the spirit-making traditions of Scotland, which mm. is where it hails from. Okay. And what they've done, it, they've made it with two heritage barley varieties and then they distill these separately then they blend them then they rest them and then they bottle them and the result is 10th muse but what i should do is tell you a little bit about the people behind it because well, it's sounding very premium already yes and this is even before i lay some more facts on you okay go lay them <laughs> so um one of the the key people behind it is a guy called robert wilson 
And he is the man who's also behind something called Nelson's, which is Europe's oldest producer of homeopathic and natural remedies. They are actually, they've been going for hundreds of years, I think, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And I think Robert's got an interest in, in this kind of world. And one of their key products, funny enough, is a Rescue Remedy. Okay, which lots is iconic. of people use those. And yes. you see it everywhere, don't mm. you? So I think he's got an interest in this sort of area of blending and alchemy and some things like that. Significantly, he also is very interested in art right. and created with his wife a wonderful experience called Jupiter Artland, which is, how can I describe it? It's a kind of open-air gallery. It's, it's kind of art pieces that are inspired by and part of a landscape. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's just outside Edinburgh. And I was lucky enough to go there a few years ago. And it is a stunning, stunning mm. experience. So you're sort of starting to think, well, these are all interesting strands. Yeah, how does it all come together? Well, there's a lot of collaboration going on here. And he's teamed up with another guy called Vadim Grigoran, who started out as a rocket scientist, which you believe. <laughs> no, so I'm not going to say anything about it not being rocket science because i think this is, <laughs> is i think this is there's a lot going going on here that makes it very clever like mm. rocket science so vadim started out in that area but then went on to work in luxury spirits for about 15 years so he's got a great pedigree as well mm. so they've come together to work on this but also they've brought in other people notably for the design stranger and stranger ah, i love stranger i know you're stranger a f- huge packaging. fan well we both are huge mm. fans of them usually any of my favorite labels or bottles they all have a uh, designed by a stranger and stranger so mm, so another very exciting another as you said earlier sort of sense of premiumness if mm. that's a word so let me just show you the bottle that they've designed and give me your impressions of it let me just Wow. Well, my initial impression is purity. Yes. Because it's clean, it's pristine, it is absolutely stunning. So most vodka bottles, or you think of vodka, they're usually in tall, slim bottles. This one is more on the squat side. Also, it has these wonderful etched waves I would say it's very sinuous going all the way around the bottle so there's no wraparound label in in fact you just have one little strip in the center which says x muse or 10th muse and so there's nothing taking you away from what's inside the bottle so you're not as I say no no label or anything like that it's absolutely stunning and a beautiful white waxed cap yeah so as you say very premium looking Mm. very understated I would say and pure and pure and and I think that that's to pick up on your point about these lovely sort of ridges down the side they're like waves that's the word cascade down Mm. now let me tell you what this is about is as I said art plays a a huge part in this and there's a piece at jupiter artland that i mentioned earlier called cells of life which was created by an artist by the name of charles jenks and what he did was created this sort of stepped landscape around sort of natural areas of water the aquifer and that's actually where the water for the vodka comes from. So oh, all the strands kind of yes, come together, yes. if you see what I mean. So th- these ridges are taken from that, that art, art installation. So it's all beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So like, sh- shall I crack open the bottle yes, and see please. if the, the contents are beautiful too? And as you said, there's a lovely glass stopper also with the X for tent on the top. I've broken off the wax. I've got the stopper out. Now let me just pour you a little here. Pass this over. There you go. Thank you. And that is sort of crystal clear, isn't it? That's as white and clear as you could possibly be, yes. which, again, goes with the, the look of the bottle. So what are you getting on the yeah. nose? Well, it, it's kind of, you know, some vodkas, you kind of, you, you sort of give them a little little nose and they make, it can make you sort of either recoil because they're a bit too in your face mm. or there's nothing going on yeah this has got a kind of warmth about it it's kind of almost like a caramel sort of feeling on the nose mm, well I, I don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't say that but there is definitely as you say there is character there so i can't really say what i'm getting i would say you know obviously because you said about the barley i can or maybe i'm hinting at the the grain there maybe a little hint of crispness like some 
green apple or something like yeah. that. But other than that, I would just say that it has got a lot of complexity, which is something that I wouldn't normally associate with a vodka. But that's what it's saying to me now. Yeah. Taste. And also, I think that thing I said about on, on the nose, sometimes you recoil a bit. I think this is incredibly smooth. It's smooth, but it's So big. easy drinking, mm. isn't it? It's, it's got a lot of character. And again, another word that you wouldn't normally associate with vodka, it's got a lot of complexity. There, yes. there is heat there, but it's not a burning heat. Everything so. about it is sort of subtle but then kind of grows mm. that's what i feel and also interestingly it's 40 abv but you almost feel it's kind of a bit yeah. punchier than that it's it's an old soul i would say it's yeah. not like a young vodka this is something a very sophisticated old somebody that knows their place in the world and they, they're asserting their authority yeah. it's kind of, i think you're that's a really nice way of putting it and i think that's like maybe that is all the kind of craftsmanship mm. and the the thought that has gone into this so i think it's a really delicious vodka of delicious spirit i should say mm. they suggest drinking it neat or over ice we're drinking it neat at, mm. And it's practically room temperature, mm. and I love it. I think it's... it's That's that, always a very good yeah. test, and particularly with a vodka, you yeah. know. So the fact that I'm happily sipping that neat is very, very high praise indeed. Absolutely. And I think I would definitely want to give this a go in our favourite drink, the martini, with mm. the dry martini, I think. Oh, my. Yeah, I think this would, ma- <laughs> I think this would make for a very characterful Yeah, and I mean, usually martini. I'm a huge gin martini fan, but this really can stand up and take a martini. So yeah. I'm looking forward so we'll, to that. We'll definitely get onto that one. So how much is this? What's the This deets? is £55 for the 70cl bottle. Yeah, I, I can see yeah, that. It's yeah. well worth it. I yeah, would say. I think that's not at all surprising. Mm. So I I really like this. We really like this, I should say. Do have a look at our Instagram and our website for, to see this beautiful bottle and find out more details of how you can try Tenth Muse for yourselves. I'm really curious about this. I wanted to try something very new. Actually, it is old because it's a centuries old tradition. Right. But it's a new spirit for us, I would say. It's called O Purist and it's an anagram for Siparo, which is, it's a Greek spirit. And it's one of those uh. things, you know, like Grappa, everybody has these spirits that they make with great must or, or something like yeah. that. And Siparo, which is spelt T S. I-P-O-U-R-O. It's actually the grape mark distillation. And it's connected to Greek tradition and hospitality, combining craftsmanship, heritage, and locality. Mm. So this one is very, very special because, as I say, Cipero actually is a centuries-old spirit that's made in Greece. Right. So it dates back to 500 BC, in fact, and it's usually made in little local distilleries. And it's always giving back to communities. So it's for about the winemakers. It's all of these different things that come together. You can read about it and geek up on it. It's fantastic history. So it's got a great history, but this is a new Yes. And so what this one one is all about is by 10 Greek bartenders have come together to bring this category forward, which is something that we're starting to see quite a lot of, that you're seeing bartenders actually embracing the old and bringing it up to date with the new. And particularly in Greece, they're very good at this. The bartenders have championed in yes. their locality. And they're really proud of those yeah, amazing ingredients. Exactly. And, their, their and they want to. This one in particular, they want to bring it to an international audience. So it's all very well that Greek people know about Cipero, but they want international audience to know about great, it too. Great ambition. Yeah. So it's led by 10 Greek bartenders, one of which is Thanos Prunaris from um, Babora, oh, one of fantastic. our favourites. And yeah. then there's other people like Thedoris Pyrilos, who used to be at Aether Athens Bar. So they've got some really good people behind them. And so they've they've worked with a wonderful distiller to, to get the balance that they want. And what they want with this, it's not just about, you know, 
sipping it neat or having it as a digestive at the end of the meal. They want this to be something that you'll mix into cocktails. Uh, so that's their, their raisin datra. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. So this one is double distilled, then blended with Greek herbs, fresh fruit and spices. Ooh. Among them, onions, <laughs> blueberries, wild pears, quince, my favourite ingredient, lemon peel. And, and so it's, as I said before, it's a distillation of grape marks, which are using part of the grape that isn't used in the winemaking process. So it's a good, sustainable yeah, I like option yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. So I think we should give it a go, really. Yeah, what do, what do you, because you got me to describe yeah. the other bottle. Okay. What would you say for this well, one? Well, the, the first thing is, because you've talked about heritage and tradition, what I like is they've not kind of tried to make it all feel like... Fancy pantsy. So, well, yeah, not, yeah, not, but they've not tried to make it feel feel like it's some old brand it, mm. it looks like a new brand it's i like the the design it's the bottle is almost like an apothecary sort of style bottle i guess but the uh you know the nice typography description oh purist with greek herbs fruits and spices and it just looks it looks stylish actually i think it's a nice understated stylish design so yeah i like it What's and it's, it's quite yeah. nice actually because this week we've both gone for very clear spirits haven't we which is unusual for us now this one doesn't have um a wax finish but it does have little wooden screw top which is which is quite nice yeah but because of the oh purist name of it there is again like 10th muse there is a sense of purity about it isn't there yes yes so let's give it a go I'm so looking forward to bear this. in mind, this is something that they have created to be mixed in cocktails. Okay. So it may be something that, you know, you're not necessarily wanting to taste neat. But but, but you kind of have to, to know what you're, we do. You might do with yeah, it. exactly. So let's see. What are you? Wow. Hmm, that's quite interesting on the nose. It's quite fruity. Yeah, yeah, there's there's quite a lot. Very fruity, actually. Yeah. Um, some spices. It smells like that nice sort of fresh picked fruit sort of smell. Yeah. Like when you, but when the, you pick fresh blackberries and blueberries and things. All sorts, actually, because there's some, some winter fruits in here, but also summer fruits. It just, it's bursting mm, with going in. goodness, isn't it? Right. Wow. That's, I don't, doesn't remind me of, you know, sometimes you taste something and you go, oh, it's a bit like this or mm. it's a bit like that. I don't think that doesn't remind me of anything, which I think is a good thing. It is a good thing. There is a hint of that kind of, as I say, not grappa, but, you know, that kind of grape distillation that you normally get. But this is much softer. It's much rounder. It's got a, as I say, there is a fruitiness behind it. I think it's sort of pear-y, you know. It's sort of ripe fruit. Yeah, so there's notes of pears in there. But again, you know, I'm not going to pretend I can smell lots of different things these are the top notes that i can Mm. get somebody else would really geek out really eloquently on that but you know all i would say is that it's very intriguing it is very yeah inviting i think it's not i I thought it was going to be a bit more like we'd said before with vodka i thought there might be more of a burn Mm. on it but it isn't it's it's nice and soft and fruity a warmth there rather than the heat mm. which i like but also it's kind of intriguing because the more i've sipped it and the finish is there's a sort of really nice sweetness in the yeah finish. so on the actual label they've they've got a recipe for a martini oh but if you go to their website they have got lots of, of cocktail recipes as you would imagine because there's the 10 greek yeah. bartenders behind it so it's not yet available in the UK, but I know that they're very much looking for international distribution. So I would say go to the website, keep up to date with it. Also read up more on on Ciparos because mm. as I say, I think we're going to be finding a lot more of these local spirits being distributed to an international audience. So Excellent. have a look on our website. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi, my name's Alan Daly. I'm the general manager at Jerry's Wines and Spirits. Uh, my cocktail hack for you guys uh, this year is uh, if, you, if you get some really good quality high cocoa uh, chocolate, stick it in your freezer, let it get nice and hard. When you're serving yourself either rum or maybe cognac and you want a slight twist on it, 
Get your dark chocolate out of the freezer. Get yourself a nutmeg uh, grater and just grate a little bit of that fine, fine chocolate over your rum or your brandy and makes perfect treat. Enjoy. For more from the Cocktail Lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. Recently, we popped into somewhere very new indeed called the Main Mayfair, which is a lovely new space tucked away, hidden, if you like, in the heart of London. Yes, and even better than that, it's off the craziness of Oxford Street. It's about two minutes away, but it's like it lives in its own timeless zone. It is perfection. It is. And let's, first of all, let's describe it a little bit. It's a grade two listed Georgian townhouse mm. on Hanover Square. And I, it's the sort of place I look at it and I think, oh man, can you imagine actually one day of having lived in a house like that? Well, uh, yeah. And the thing is, we can't live in it, but, but actually can, for a, a couple of hours, we, we can, can pretend and, and, <laughs> and actually live the lifestyle. And I think that this place is very much like that. It sort of welcomes you in with open arms and you immediately fall for its spell, don't you? Yeah, it's well, that's just sumptuous. Yeah, as we say, it's on Hanover Square and Hanover Square itself has been undergoing been renovation for, for so many 10 years, years, I think. Yeah. So long. So it's great to see that is now coming back into its own. It's a beautiful square. So you approach across the square, you see this gorgeous house and then you can step inside. Mm, and step inside we did. I mean, they had to hold us back. It was <laughs> so great. I mean, even from the outside, you can look into the drawing room and you just think you want to be in there, yeah, don't it you? So welcoming. It's absolutely beautiful. There's something really magical about it. You enter through the courtyard. So Medici Courtyard, it's called. So before you actually get into the building, you see the terrace. So outside is set up for... This wonderful, actually, we we went for a preview, so we did see it before in its new guise, didn't we? The terrace was open and there was a lovely seafood bar outside, which I'll probably bring back in the summer. But you get that vibe from the outside and then enter through this lovely reception that feels like a a hotel reception, actually, doesn't it? Yes. And and then you can make your way through to the various rooms. Yeah. So, and, Gary, and, you and go. It's, and it's the nice thing to say is, it, yes, it is a grade two listed building. But what they've done, yes, they've had to be very, very sympathetic to the history and the look of the place. But at the same time, they've introduced all these sort of nice modern touches. And when I say modern, they're uh, contemporary, but they're done in a way that is very sympathetic to what's already there. So the balance between the old and new is really sensitively done and makes for a wonderful, wonderful interior and a wonderful experience. So in terms of the rooms themselves... It's basically broken down into four spaces. So there's the drawing room, which you mentioned earlier, which you see from the outside. There's the terrace, which you also mentioned, the brasserie and the tavern. So Mm. we've so far explored the drawing room, the terrace. We had a sneaky look at the brasserie and we haven't seen the tavern, but Mm. I'm looking forward to that. So what's what's in store? Tell our listeners what's going on throughout the building. Okay, so the drawing room at the front, which we mentioned, is just like your dream sort of living room, obviously, because there's a, a lovely little bar at one end. But there's sort of kind of bonquettes and sofas, mm. all very luxurious that you want to sort of sleep. into. It's very into. homely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I believe, and I may be wrong but i re- i rarely am wrong uh, <laughs> that this is eventually going to be the martini bar yes yes and we did have a, a stupendous martini there didn't yes, we yes they absolutely brilliant and i really do hope that they do bring it back as the martini room as i mentioned we we did go along for the preview so they were sort of showing us how it was going to to yeah. to work and in that um capacity this was dedicated as the martini room and we were treated to these amazing dirty pickle martinis. Dirty pickle martinis. Um, which was, what which did they was, have? It was uh, sirop vodka, dry vermouth, and then served with uh, a pickled, a pickled carrot. 
carrot. Yeah, so kind of really Gibson style. Mm, really good. And they'll be having different martinis. At the moment, no, it's not as the martini room. Um, they're just but I am putting different... my hands together and praying that yes. it will be a martini But room. whatever it is, yeah. it's it's a wonderful place for cocktails. And um, yeah. throughout the, the venue, they've got a few signatures that appear. There's, as we say, the dirty pickle martini. They've got, they've divided them up into sort of aperitifs and then main anytime cocktails. And then they also have some digestifs and non-alcoholic drinks as well. And there's about 16 drinks, uh, not including the non-alcoholics, across the the menus, Mm. all around about £14. Yes. So that's um, the drawing room. There's also, as we said, this lovely terrace, which we're looking forward to going back to in the summer. So again, it's it looks like it's they're going to have a bar outside as well as I believe the seafood, and a great a great place to hunker down. Now there's also the brasserie, which is the one I mentioned we had a sneaky look mm. at, which is downstairs. It's a quite a big room actually. So there's a great bar. It's designed for dining and there's a big central stage so it's all about a sort of entertainment yeah entertainment mm. and that kind of space that it's funny because we've been talking about this a little bit recently those kind of spaces that feel kind of smart and grown up and you can go there have your cocktails have your food have a bit of live music and and a good reason and, and spend the to whole dr- to dress up yeah, yeah exactly and then what else have they the, got then you- there's going to be something called the tavern which we have to hold our hands yeah, we haven't, we seen, haven't seen, but we've heard about, and it's sort of based on a kind of pubby kind of vibe, but a pub with seafood, uh, <laughs> burgers, and great cocktails yeah. and wine. So that's the kind of pub you want to drop Yeah, into. exactly. Actually, we should mention, as well as these fabulous cocktails, there's a, a, an array of cocktails, really beautifully balanced, the ones that we've tried. They also have a um, great selection of food throughout the, the building. Yeah, we've, we've tried some of the food. And the food is excellent. amazing. And also, if you're just after bar bites, these are uber bar bites. So you get things like lobster rolls or oysters, there's the colossal shrimp cocktail fried chicken and caviar come on that is and the uh, a wagyu toasty so you know things like that which is amazing and um, we should also mention it is this whole main mayfair it's the brainchild of a wonderful entrepreneur or gastropreneur as we'd like to say um called joey gazelle he started his life waiting tables in soho yeah about what 15 20 20 years years ago ago, and now he's back in london with this amazing space and it's just a testament to hard work this is because you know from waiting tables to setting up this incredible space he's also got some other places around the world we should mention but this is such a a welcome addition to London. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's, it's lovely because what he says in his description of the main Mayfair is that it's splendid old world elegance with New England extravagance because I think this is his homage to spending to time as a, as a child in Maine. Yes. So I think it's he's done a brilliant job of bringing those two together. And this is our number one tip, I think, for 2022. Yeah, and we cannot wait to go back and explore it further. Absolutely. This year, or next year, I should say, 2022, one of my resolutions is going to be reading up more on specific categories, I think. So with that in mind, I've picked out a book that we've had in our library earlier on this year, but we haven't actually reviewed it. And it's called The Big Book of Amaro. And it's by a fabulous bartender called Matteo Zed. He's from the court in Rome and he's absolutely bursting with knowledge. And passion. And and passion. And particularly for Amaro, he is a self-confessed Amaro (laughs) geek and Amaro obsessive, actually. So this is his life's work, I think, of, of researching tasting, you know, finding out all he can about his favourite, favourite spirit, liqueur, if you'd like to call it that. But it is, it's packed with everything you need to know about this bittersweet Italian herbal liqueur and a lot more besides. So in it, 
Yes, the name is the Big Book of Amaro. And it is a big book. It is a it. big book yeah. and it is packed with information. So he's compiled it with passion and pride, and there's clearly a lot of care and research has gone into it. It opens with um, the various extraction processes and origins, and then follows on to the myriad botanicals that can be found in Amaro. So there's classic ones and contemporary ones. And all the way through, it's just filled with these lovely illustrations, lots of text, actually. So this will be a good yeah. one for me to start reading about. Just I'm just, up, yeah. I'm just flicking yeah. through. So Gary oh, the illustrations see. are very Lovely sweet, illustrations like with yeah. the botanicals. And also asking that age-old question, what is an Amaro? And you'll have to read the book to find out because it is, as I say, a bittersweet Italian liqueur herbal liqueur so it's packed with all sorts of things there can be any amount but you of- know the, the other thing I, I i'm really fascinated by and i think this is such a good thing is amaro is another one of those things that 10 years ago i probably didn't even no. know what it was mm. then you gradually get to know what it is then you realize people are talking about it and then you almost find people talking about what's your favorite yes, amaro yes. which is like a conversation that you couldn't have imagined having a few years ago so there's a lot there to learn absolutely and as you said people are much more interested in it i mean it used to be one of those things that a few italian people use not a few but you know yeah. it was an age old italian tradition to drink an amaro either as an aperitif or as a digestive now they're being used much more in cocktails and you know on their own and just this real amount of knowledge that goes into it and and people want to know a little bit more so if you do like amaros and want to know a little bit more i definitely recommend this book it's great and mateo is so proud of it and we are so proud of him for having yeah, and he's a fabulous guy it. so yes. well done to him for exactly putting a, so much time and effort into this yeah so um, it's available through all of your leading bookshop retailers including the big one beginning with a but search around and maybe find it somewhere else but whatever you do do buy it a for amaro e for excellent we love it Let us count the ways that we love Lauren Moat. First and foremost, she's absolutely gorgeous and a fabulous person to boot. But she's also one of the smartest, most hardworking and inspiring women in the drinks biz. Check this. She's founding partner of Bittered Sling Bitters, Chard and Lava Agency, Nightcab Media and Kale and Nori Culinary Arts. And if that lot wasn't enough... She's also co-founder of Women Celebrate, a social media initiative to highlight women and femme folks in the drinks industry. Lauren is an award-winning bartender, sommelier, writer and accredited instructor and an in-demand speaker at seminars around the world. Little wonder why she was recognised by her industry peers as one of the top four international brand ambassadors of the year, 2019, Top four Best Bar Mentors 2020 and is the first Canadian woman to be inducted into the Dame Hall of Fame. It's also the reason why you'll find her on every industry best list. Lauren travels extensively, educating and mentoring bartenders around the world and knows everything there is to know about cocktails and how and what we'll be drinking, which is why we're thrilled to welcome her today. Lauren, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. I I feel like I'm just going <laughs> to capture that as, as like a PR intro. <laughs> and you have the perfect voice for narration as well. So it's oh, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. So yes, once again, welcome, Lauren. Now, can we start by asking you a little bit about your travels in the sense of you've traveled the world extensively, as Sandra said. And during that time, could you tell us a bit about some of the notable changes that you've seen in how we appreciate cocktails and our knowledge of cocktails? And and when you answer that, maybe if you could tell us from the perspective of both uh, consumers and from professionals. Definitely. 
I don't know how many countries I've been to. I must have been somewhere between 45 and 60 countries, but I do have to sit down and probably count one day. But it doesn't mean that I that I won't return and that I've seen everything because I might have spent, you know, 48 hours in, you know, a capital city, you know, very far away and then left to go somewhere else. So I think there's so much to discover. And so my experiences have really only been a pinprick, you know, of what uh, people can expect in, in a lot of places. But I suppose you know, prior to the pandemic, I felt that there was a very clear divide between people that would go to bars to drink and people that would stay at home to make drinks. And I think that the the pandemic, although there have been uh, a lot of, you know, negative and challenging things that have happened as a result, the very positive thing is that it's actually blended those two worlds together and it's helped to upskill you know, consumers and of course, bartenders have become more accessible to teach people how to make drinks and how to enjoy drinks more importantly. And I think in every part of the world that I had visited prior to the pandemic, you saw little blips of that. So there would be the overflowing bars uh, filled with guests from all walks of life in different places from, you know, Bangkok to New Delhi to, you know, Eastern Europe in Moscow or you know, Kiev and the Ukraine, I've, I've been to so many cool places. And each one of those places has their own ritualistic way of drinking whatever the spirits are. Now, maybe if we go somewhere like uh, St. Petersburg, to the team at Alcopidas, you expect, oh, we're going to go to Russia, we're going to learn everything there is to know about blinis, caviar, and how to drink vodka. And they say, welcome to our mezcal bar, you know. <laughs> so I think that, um, I've seen that we've captured the best of the traditional and cultural nuances of spirits and local flavor in each of these places. But I think where the the bartenders have really excelled and where the consumers are along for the for the ride and the journey, they've taken these sort of modern ideas of wouldn't it be great to have a mezcal bar smack dab in the middle of Russia? With like an amazing spirits list, but but also with like their local flair and local flavors, their local way of doing things in St. Petersburg, which is really cool. So I think to answer your your question, coming back around again, each place that I visited in the world has really nailed that. They have really celebrated uh, the local culture and tradition. They've shared it with their guests in a, a really approachable and exciting way, but they've also taken the best of, I guess, the modern and accessible things that have, have made drinks and cocktails and travel really cool and made it available for their guests. And you know, ultimately creating a brand new wave of bartenders that are no two are the same, which is an amazing thing to see. And also, that's so exciting, the blending of all of that. That's where the magic happens, isn't it, really, which is fantastic. And what about you personally? Because you do do a lot of consultations and you're mentoring all the time. Has your approach to creating cocktails changed? Well, my approach has has actually always been the same for, you know, probably... Uh, 20 years and and then some I'm sort of dating myself here but this is my you know 22nd year as a bartender and 24th in the food industry and I would say that I've always led with like a very hyper local attitude and you know seasonal regional flavors but I've always been focused on the people that bring it to life so if I'm going to use honey in a drink because it makes sense, then I'm going to find the purveyor, the local purveyor that makes the coolest honey, go through a tasting, decide why things taste differently, and then bring that information to the guest in a really approachable way without being patronizing, which can happen sometimes when you deliver information. And so a lot of the programs I've written haven't been willy-nilly of, we're just going to throw this list of 10 drinks together because they're the drinks I want to drink. They always have some sort of concept or or theme around them. So, for example, with with the Four Seasons, I I did that for years in different locations for their hotel programs. I was running from Whistler to Vancouver to San Francisco, where it would be the I guess the motto of the hotel if they were focused on you know ocean and aquaculture, focused on the sustainability of you know gathering ingredients locally, but with a heavy focus on the ocean then that all of a sudden became the theme of the cocktail program. And so guests would go on a journey of discovering new flavors, nothing too esoteric, but like almost, 
you know, beginner and intermediate drinks that they could discover. And then we had like an expert level of drinks to the side if they wanted something a little bit more strange, but it all felt like it came together. And so that really highlighted the communities It highlighted the location and it highlighted the people both, you know, behind the bar and sitting at the bar to, to inspire conversation about that. And so I think that my, my cocktail programs are continuing to do that now with such a huge emphasis on community, it doesn't really matter where I end up or what I'm featuring, whether it's, you know, cars or musicals or movies or what have you. It's, uh, it's all going to be related to people and local flavors. And good fun. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting, you know, you, you, you've sort of talked about a couple of countries already, and you've talked about that, uh, how you personally interact with the, that sort of locale. So Let's throw a really difficult one at you. You've obviously been, as you said, to something like 45 countries. And I think a few years ago, if we were having this conversation, maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago, there'd probably been a handful of countries that you would have singled out, I'm guessing, that you should say we should visit if we could for great cocktail experiences. Now, I suspect there's a lot more. So could you maybe single out some places or countries or cities that maybe have been under the radar a little bit? And when we can all travel again, the places we should be looking out for? Well, it's a great question. And I think the three of us actually had this very intense conversation at 50 Best uh, two weeks ago or two and a half weeks ago, that there, there are a lot of great you know, bars that are featured from some far-flung places that you could have only dreamed of seeing on the list, you know, even even three years ago. For example, uh, Lab 22 in Cardiff, Wales. <laughs> that was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, yes! I was like cheering for Wales. But I think it, uh, what that demonstrates is that there are so many small places. Now, I use this lightly that there are small cities, towns, villages, and hamlets <laughs> <laughs> that may have interesting drinks, interesting bars, and very interesting ways of bringing their experiences to life for the locals. And those are the things that I think we want to see. And the the conversation for me is always about Canada. You know, Canada is, is such a beautiful and incredible country coast to coast. Of course, I'm Canadian. If you can't hear it in my voice, I live in Amsterdam, but I'm definitely Canadian. And I think you know, there, there are some really amazing bars from, you know, Montreal and Quebec City to, you know, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Victoria, Saskatoon, Halifax. There are incredible bars that somehow just never show up on the list, but they are worth their weight shoulder to shoulder to the best bars in the world. And so I think when we get out there and travel again, it's easy for us living in Europe. And, and the two of you will probably agree with me that there are dozens of countries that are in less than two hours away by plane that we can go and visit that are doing some great things. But in Canada, it's, it's a bit harder. You know, you, if your starting point is Toronto, it, it's still five hours to, to get to Vancouver. So it's, uh, I, I think it's inspiring people to get out and discover new places, places that maybe are outside the comfort zone of the automatic, I'll go to a resort or I will go to London because I know that all the bars are amazing and I'll just go everywhere. And those are great, great things to look forward to. But I think it's, it's really being more researched and more thoughtful in our choices to discover some of these amazing places. If you can get the time and if you can you know, afford the time traveling to get there and back because they, they are quite far away. So I guess my my swan song about Canada, it's not just about, you know, poutine and smoked <laughs> salmon and bannock and whatever else and maple syrup and rum running. But there's just so much more to that coast to coast uh, to be discovered. And I think as a second and third choice to that, I would say some of the emerging markets that I've been to around the world, like Eastern Europe, the Baltics, um, Ukraine, of course, uh, parts of uh, of Africa that have incredible bars, you know, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, even Morocco, and then uh, Southeast Asia. There, there are, you know, so many amazing things happening in in different countries there that are, you know, worth discovering in the Philippines and Taiwan, Thailand. So I, the the list is endless. I think I think people should just send me a message on Instagram and ask me for a list. And well, they may well do that. But it's <laughs> yeah. so exciting, though, isn't it? That as you say, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and have a great 
bar cocktail experience. So I can't wait till we can all travel freely again. Yeah, we'll be bombarding you for lots of uh, recommendations. Absolutely. And that's for anyone. Anyone can bombard me for Yeah, and we, we will put Lauren's details up later so you can feel free. <laughs> so what about bars? We, we've, we've spoken about some countries. I know that this one's probably a difficult one, but are there any that you're holding very close to your heart at the moment that not number one and two on the list, but things that maybe haven't even featured on the world's 50 best bars list? Can you give us some ideas or, or mix it up, actually? Yeah. Um- I would say that, uh, you know, some really interesting bars that I've been to, again, have been sort of those local dive bar hole in the walls that, you know, they're mom and pop run and they're usually, you know, right in the middle of a neighborhood. They're always busy. You wouldn't even think to go in, you know, unless someone said, make sure you go on the corner and go in here, ask for so-and-so, have the blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, just make those recommendations. And I think when you're, you know, traveling by road trip, I think that's when you make those discoveries. And so, you know, for us, again, I use the example of Canada, but you could do it in, of course, in the UK. What what a brilliant opportunity to do that. Australia, any, any countries really. And it's almost pinpointing your map for stops of different local bars and restaurants that could be amazing cultural discoveries that were recommended by friends your own Michelin road guide, if you will. And so, you know, I'm going to go back to Canada on on this one again, because I think, you know, Atwater Cocktail Club and the Milky Way in Montreal are two of some of the greatest bars in Canada. We love them uh, so much. In Halifax, there's an amazing bar called Lot 6. They focus really just on, you know, making very cool East Coast drinks with lots of worldly spirits, but they have some, you know, Nova Scotia spirits and ingredients. But the bartenders are also shucking oysters for you. Oh, fantastic. I don't know many bartenders that know how to shuck an oyster <laughs> without cutting their hand off. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, it's it's sort of bringing like the, the food and beverage experience together in a way that, you know, people expect when they go to East Coast Canada that they would have something like that, but you'd never expect the bartender to be delivering the entire experience for you, which is very cool. And then in, uh, in Western Canada, there's, you know, in Vancouver, it's very well known for almost being the beginning of, you know, the hundred mile diet in the Pacific Northwest, you know, 20 years ago and slow food movements. So you've got a lot of bartenders there that are making ingredients to replace classic ingredients that they can't get because the taxation is so high in British Columbia. So you could have interesting classics like, let's say, a Martinez, but the vermouth and the maraschino might be a completely homemade version that is modeled after the classic using local ingredients. And so things like that are, are really interesting. And, you know, there, there are great bars out there um, doing fun things with local product, partnered with, with kitchens and the, the uh, culinary team to bring that to life. So Yes, lots of cool I stuff. I think we've got to visit Canada, Gary. That's the <laughs> yeah. I think I think you're clearly the the ambassador for Canada, and rightly so, rightly so. So yeah, that's definitely on our list. So we'll we'll be chasing you for more recommendations when we finally make it to Canada. Thank you. So now we'd love to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball, please. So could you look into the the coming year? And maybe give us some of your personal predictions for what you see coming up in terms of spirits trends or, you know, do you or do you think things that's going to carry on as they are? Or are you sort of thinking, yeah, there's going to be some different spirits coming through that are going to be a bit more mainstream or played with? I think there's a big changing of the guard, I feel, in a lot of ways in terms of transparency and spirits and not just necessarily in how we label, but transparency in the process of, you know, from the the ground to the shelf, you know, how the the bottle makes that journey. And I think that uh, consumers and the trade and bartenders are looking for more information because there's so much variety, they can be quite selective on how and why they choose specific spirits or ingredients, because I don't think it's limited just to bottles of alcohol. I also think from, I suppose, from a, a, a standpoint of 
you know, some of the the big giant spirit companies, they've, they've got some amazing folks that are, are leaving and opening smaller distilleries, taking all of that knowledge from working with really big brands and applying it to, you know, perhaps something that tells the story of a, of a smaller, more, more localized level of terroir. For example, uh, John Campbell, who was the longtime distillery manager from Lefroy, who's, who's a very good friend of mine that I've known for years. He just left Lefroy after I think 25 years. And he's just joined a very small team at a small distillery called Lockley in the West coast of Scotland. So I think people that are really interested in, in rum, tequila, scotch, like everyone's going to have their favorite categories, but I think now they can start to pull back the onion layers to discover, you know, what's outside of the big brands too, which is very exciting. It gives uh, some great share and spotlight to smaller companies and smaller producers doing some cool things with that comes also the management of the inflation of pricing, you know, so I think there needs to be some sort of uh, balance between, you know, the the cost of what these bottles are and how much it, you know, costs to produce them to make them accessible so people can try, you know, some of these smaller produced spirits uh, in a way that the producers can keep producing <laughs> because they're making enough money from the sale. So without getting too intense about that, because the government needs to step in and, and help make that happen. And then, uh, I would say no and low is, I mean, obviously we know no and low and, you know, food and beverage occasion is still massive highlighting, you know, voices that have otherwise been, been quite, you know, downplayed in the community, I think is really important highlighting wherever possible in, you know, community outreach programs and, and how we can fold in drinks experiences to that. And I think some of that could be, you know, that we've got, you know, smaller groups of really cool individuals that have only ever dreamed of opening a bar and restaurant in their neighborhood. And now all of a sudden they've got the funding or the ability to open that bar and do their own theme and their own way of delivering hospitality to their guests. So I think that will be sort of the, the next stage on, on what we see for community outreach. Hopefully, you know, people with deep pockets will invest back in the bar and restaurant industry again and help to, to bring some of those dreams to life. But I think people just being more mindful of their lifestyle and making choices you know, based on who they are and where they want to be, the company they want to keep, where they want to be in five to 10 years and, and almost having too much choice as a method to get there. You know, earlier today, I ate an entire bag of shortbread cookies, <laughs> which I'm not embarrassed to say because shortbreads are some of my favorite things. And there's so many shortbreads available on the market. Now with each shortbread, I can choose a different drink, a different cup of tea, and for me, that is my lifestyle. So I want to empower everybody out there that whatever they're interested in, that there is a drink for you. There's a, a variety of brands or recipes to make your own. But uh, it's it's an amazing opportunity to just really jump in head first. And in the words of Julia Child, just be fearless, you know, jump in and just uh, and just start making drinks, start enjoying. Yeah. And talking about that, so you're talking about your love of shortbread. Any thoughts on notable flavours and styles of drinks that we might be using? I know that it is very much it's open season now because we can all embrace so many different products and styles. But are you seeing anything more prolific coming through? I think uh, the the culinary and beverage worlds are continuing to blend together. And I think, you know, you see this a lot at, say, Tayer and Elementary a lot, where Monica's always got her, her beautiful videos on Instagram of the massaging of the sous vide bag that has different ingredients. And the other day, you know, she was using an ingredient called curry leaf, which is a very pronounced and really incredible flavor that chefs are always using in like a Mumbai style curry or, or different things from that region is such a cool flavor. But you very seldom see bartenders reaching for something like that, because they're just not really sure how to use it. And so I think, as chefs and bartenders are continuing to work together, and more chefs are coming out with books that have drinks recipes, and more drinks books coming out with more culinary thought, you start to see that these ideas are becoming a little bit more normal and mainstream, which is very cool. So I think uh, using isoteric flavors on one hand is a trend that we will continue to see because it's interesting. It's interesting to taste unique ingredients that you cannot find in a traditional grocery store and using them well. And then on the other side, I do think that, you know, bartenders were, were really coming back to basics and embracing, you know, the three or four ingredient cocktails that are really focused on 
very, very good ingredients, good modifiers, good spirits, and a wide range of variety. Again, coming back to the Martinez, if you change the gin, you change the, the maraschino, you change the vermouth, you change the bitters, you all of a sudden have your favorite drink that you've always loved in a wide range of options that you could never get through, you know, because there's just so many. So I think those worlds are, are sort of, they're separated, but they're also coming together uh, at certain places. Fantastic. It, it, it's, it's kind of making my mouth water <laughs> hearing some of that because it's so much going on also so much to look look forward to and the other thing just sort of uh, changing tack slightly uh, we couldn't talk to you without talking to you about bittered sling so i wonder if you could share a little bit about what's in the pipeline for the coming year with that of course well 2022 is bittered slings 10 year anniversary in february which is great yeah february 12th and jonathan uh, has been running you know, the, so Jonathan's my husband, of course, I know you two know, but just for your viewers. Um, so my husband is a, a professional chef. His name is uh, Chef Jonathan Chavonsek. And he's uh, also a brilliant photographer and stylist. So he just does so many things. But he's also very gifted at running our company, which is great, because I have lots of clients. And, you know, Bittered Sling is both of our baby. But uh, for him, it's really been his baby in the last few years. And so under his watchful eye, and with my assistance as well, over the last few years, we've uh, started to really slowly open up different markets and just launched in Italy, which is great. We just launched in France. We are launching in Australia coming up in the next uh, in the next few weeks. So it's a very exciting time for Bittered Slang. And we are a, a company that is owned solely by a chef and bartender team. There have been no investors, just Jonathan and I. So every groundbreaking moment for us, it could even be you know, we've launched a new size format, or we've, you know, opened in a new country, or, you know, we found like a really cool supplier for a unique ingredient we always wanted to use. So those those successes for Bittered Sling are vast. And, you know, this time last year, well, actually it'd be coming up in January, we were recognized as one of the top five trending bitters in the world by Drinks International. And that was a huge, huge nod for us. And, you know, we we were floored. And uh, we, we hope to continue on that momentum. We make bitters that have no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients that are made purely from exceptionally good, non-genetically modified ingredients from Canada. Our spirit is wheat-based from Canada. And uh, all of our botanicals are whole botanicals. So the, the way it comes to life in the drink uh, with any of our flavors, the nine flavors, it's uh, again, coming back to the Martinez, it drastically changes very, very simple drinks into the extraordinary and having a, a chef and bartender palette to bring that to life has been an amazing flavor discovery that everyone is, is slowly beginning to understand. So it's great. Fantastic. Well, we'll put details of where people can find them and to be in touch with yourself and Jonathan to buy them because that should be on everybody's list for 2022. I think so too. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're still talking a little bit about gazing into the future. So, um, but this is more about you and not so much predictions, but your wish list. So what would you like to see happening or maybe changing in the drinks world, the drinks industry going forward? What would you love to see happening? I think, you know, I'll, I'll just touch quickly on, on what I mentioned earlier in the session about, you know, deeper pockets, investing a little bit more in bars and restaurants. I, I think that's really important. Every neighborhood should have a local and every neighborhood should have a variety of locals. And this, uh, you know, along with other establishments in, in each neighborhood, I would say that the bar is just as important as the town hall. And so it would be, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Amen. you can't really have one without the other. Right. And while I think it's very exciting to, you know, to go and visit our friends, you know, Ago, Giorgio and Maura at, uh, at the Connaught at the world's best bar. I think it's also really important that, uh, that we're investing in, you know, the smaller bars and the, and the smaller communities around. And a great way to do that is, um, is also collaborations. So I think 
you know, bars and bartenders being really open to collaborations with small brands and large brands to see how they can create new experiences for their guests and also helps to to support those uh, local venues, any endeavors that they have business-wise. But I think, you know, the sky's the limit coming out of, uh, you know, this really challenging two years that we've been in. We've lost, you know, some really great people and we've also lost some really great businesses. And I hope that we are coming out of this a lot stronger and, you know, a lot more connected to people, the humility and the, you know, gratefulness that we should all feel that, um, that we're still here and we're still able to wake up every day and continue on with the things that we love to do. And I I think part of that is uh, really making sure that uh, we take care of our industry. And I think everybody can do that, whether you have deep pockets or you don't even just, uh, you know, buying a, a takeaway kit or even just popping by for, you know, an old fashioned on your way home or, you know, just tagging your favorite bartenders on Instagram when you make a drink or whatever it is. I think just these small gestures are, are really important and, and they turn into bigger gestures that change the world. Absolutely. Wow. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And this is the reason why we had you on. So thank you so, oh. <laughs> so much for your time. And we really look forward to seeing you in 2022. Oh, thanks. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you and wishing you both a very happy new year. And to all the listeners out there, uh, a very happy and healthy new year. And remember to support your local bartenders. And, uh, you know, a lot of the I just want to say one more thing, a lot of the, you know, stories that that, that I always talk about uh, people and training and just, you know, getting into these wonderful moments with different communities around the world is the, the premise of of the book that I have coming out in September 2022 that I've been working on all through lockdown. So um, hopefully, you know, everyone, if you can't physically travel to a lot of these places, these are stories inspired by those places and drinks that become the illustrations that bring these people's stories to life, which is uh, a very huge honor to be able to, to, to bring those in. Wow, can't wait for that. We'll look forward to that, yeah. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.